hard to believe how beautiful a day that you can have the 1st of December. 70 degrees, sunshine, and a full auditorium of people here to worship the Lord. We're glad you're here, and I want to express my appreciation for your being here today. also want to express my appreciation to Brother Jamie for preaching last Sunday morning. I got to hear his lesson by way of recording. He did a wonderful job. Sunday evening, Brother Aaron did a great job again, and uh, I happened to be here to hear that lesson. So it was a great week last week, and I know you were edified and encouraged. We're continuing in a study of the book of Acts, and the book of Acts, in my judgment, is perhaps one of the most important books for everyone to study. Not just those who are thinking about becoming Christians, but those of us who are Christians to help remind us of the task that sits before us. The book of Acts reveals the explosive growth that the Lord's church experienced. If you're reading carefully the book of Acts, you realize that it began with 120 being assembled in an upper room preparing for the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, then 3,000 souls were added to them when they obeyed the gospel. We continue to read further and realize that the number grew to 5,000 men and then ultimately to multitudes both of men and women. How did that happen? How did the church experience such explosive growth in the beginning? It wasn't by accident. It wasn't that it was just a phenomenon that just happened. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. We learn from Luke's record, the apostles had stayed in Jerusalem. That means those who became Christians, that is the ordinary man, the ordinary women, went out and everywhere they went and settled, they carried the gospel with them. And beginning at Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth, Acts 1 and verse 8, they carried the gospel into all the world. The reason this was done was because God had given a divine directive. We call it the Great Commission. Here found in Matthew's account in chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. There is the obligation placed upon the church those of us who are Christians, to take the gospel with us, those we meet at work, those that are our neighbors, those that are our friends, and those who are our family. It's something we're passionate about because the Lord has told us to do this. The church developed an enthusiasm for evangelism. It wasn't as if, well, you know, I've got something you might be interested in. It's something that was precious to them, something that they felt was too valuable to keep to themselves. If I were to come up with a cure for cancer, it would be wrong of me 
to not share it. If you had something that could solve the poverty of this world and you didn't share it, it would be wrong for you. The greatest thing in this world is our soul. We sang just a few moments ago a very powerful hymn, What Does It Profit a Man? If he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, from Matthew 16, verse 26, what is a man profit if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? As one steps across the Jordan into eternity, he will there realize either he is in paradise or he is in torments. He will realize the value of his soul and the future of eternity where he is at. This morning, I would like for us to look at three things from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. I want us to look, first of all, at the senders. Verse 1 will tell us about the senders. Number 2, I want us to look at the servants. Paul and Barnabas, as they carry out the task which they were given. And finally, the service which they rendered. So let's focus our minds for just a few minutes on Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. You begin, first of all, with two parts. I know that sometimes when we look and we read that, we think about the missionaries that are here, but the first part of this is God's instruction. If you'll notice carefully with me, verses 2 and 4, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit said, This is not as if the church at Antioch was saying, You know, guys, I think we need to do a little bit of evangelism. This is not as if Paul and Barnabas said, You know, we've got a good idea. This is... The Holy Spirit giving divine directions, and in this case, specific directions to separate Paul and Barnabas to a work which I have called them. Then you get to verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. It was the direction of God that this message goes out. And I will tell you, that every time you and I carry the gospel, it's not just at our own whims and our own fancies. It's because we have a divine obligation. Second of all, you have the obedience of the church at Antioch. We always have the willingness or the liberty, if you will, that you and I can make our choice whether we will do what God tells us to do or not. Will God allow us to reject Him? And the answer is yes. Can we not do what God has told us to do? Men do that every day. But the church at Antioch obeyed. And you might have the idea that this is a relatively young church. And because they're relatively young, they can't handle the task. Do you remember going back to Acts chapter 11? We studied about a couple of weeks ago in Acts 11 and verse 26. 
Barnabas had gone to Tarsus to seek Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and that for a whole year they assembled together with the church, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. We read on in Acts 12 about going to Jerusalem. We realize that they took funds to be able to assist those because of the famine that was taking place. But this is a young church. Maybe no more than two years old as a congregation. And now God expects them, this young church, to be evangelistic. What do I derive from that? What do I learn from that? God expects me to start young in life of sharing His message. Some of you that we often refer to as the youth need to realize your talent, your ability to be able to be evangelistic. I remember Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a young man when God called him to be a prophet. In Jeremiah 1 and verse 7, But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. You see, if we're old enough to become a child of God and we're old enough to understand what it is to become a Christian, we can tell someone else what we did and urge them to do the same. You see, though they were a young church, they still had this obligation. The Bible tells us that in order for some to go, there has to be someone who sins. For Paul and Barnabas to carry the gospel to the island of Cyprus and ultimately into Asia Minor, it's going to require some sending. And again, I would draw to your attention a passage, Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him or in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Now let me draw attention to this fact. The sending of Romans chapter 10 is God. He's the one giving the commission to carry this gospel into the world. But God expects those of us who are his children to cooperate with time, with financial means, with prayers, with encouragement to carry the gospel How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And folks, that's not the man who stands in the pulpit. Oh yes, he's a part of that. But this refers to everyone who takes God's word to their neighbors and to their friends. Notice carefully with me Acts chapter 13, verses Verse 3 here. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. 
What did the church do when there was this great effort of sending out men? It said they fasted and prayed. Fasting is not something we do very often today unless we're going to the doctor for blood work. And yet in the first century church, as a voluntary thing, people would say, I'm going to not eat today. I am going to afflict myself by depriving myself of what joy I would receive from eating food for a particular purpose. Often it is coupled together with prayer, fasting and prayer. These two go together because there's a person who takes the time that he would have been spending in eating, the time he would have spent in preparing the food to be able to offer his heart's devotion to God. They laid their hands on them. That was a means by which, in their culture, they communicated, we are with you. This is a way that they would demonstrate, we're, we're sending you out, you're a part of our group. We don't generally do that today. We don't have a lot of the Eastern customs among us. There is something we do, though, that is very much like that, and that is when we extend our hands to shake hands. That's a very common means of of congratulations. It's a very common means of expressing, I'm with you. The Lord's church needs to realize As we send people out, we need to be praying for them. And yes, it would be great if we fasted to spend a little bit of time saying, well, maybe the money I'm spending on my food I could give to be able to help someone carry the gospel into the world and then to make sure that they know we're behind them. Antioch thus became a hub for mission work. They're one of those congregations you can look and say, these people want to carry the gospel into the world. They're evangelistic. Listen to chapter 14, verse 26. Luke says, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. That one verse stands out to say, This is where they had been commended to the grace of God. These are people here who sent them out to carry God's grace into all the world. You know what they did? They completed the mission. Let's say, for instance, it's our goal to carry the gospel to Canada. Let's say the church we supported for many years in Selkirk. We're going to go there for a week. We're going to knock doors in every area and try to be able to persuade people to become children of God. And we go and we do that and we come back and we say, here's what we've done. That's what Paul and Barnabas did in carrying that message. But it's not just there. You go to chapter 15 in verse 35. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. The church at Antioch remained strong. Before a church can really be evangelistic, it's got to make sure we stoke the fires of home. 
That means that we have to have a solid, faithful, dedicated, loyal group of Christians willing to be there with our financial help, willing to be there with our prayers, willing to be there with our commitments. In chapter 18, verses 22 and 23, Luke says, And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening the disciples. As you listen to Luke's record, you realize it wasn't as if Paul said, or Barnabas said, well, we carried the gospel to them, good enough for them. No, they continued to carry the gospel into all the world. The senders, they were behind the work. Let's talk a little bit about the servants. Paul and Barnabas were selected The Holy Spirit said that he called Paul and Barnabas to this work. Now, Brother Marty read just a few moments ago for us from Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, and we learned that there were a lot of prophets in the church there at Antioch. We learned there were people with various backgrounds and various talents, but the Holy Spirit chose two of them. They were selected. In fact, they were sent on a mission. That's actually the definition of an apostle. Someone sent on a mission. When God selects a person and sends them on a mission, they become apostles. And you get to Acts 14, verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out. Don't let that escape you. But when the apostles, who's he talking about? Plural, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul. Someone says, are you saying then that Barnabas was an apostle? Absolutely, Barnabas was an apostle. Because he was sent with the mission. He was selected by the Holy Spirit. Well, these men are important. In fact, they worked together often. It was Barnabas who went and got Paul and brought him to Jerusalem and introduced him to the apostles and gave encouragement to him. That's to be expected. Chapter 4, verse 36 of Acts, he's the son of encouragement. He's the man who went and got Paul and brought him to Antioch. Acts 11, verse 25 and 26. But they worked together quite frequently. In Galatians 2 and verse 9, as Paul recounts, he's going to Jerusalem. He said, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. It wasn't just the Holy Spirit that recognized this, the Apostles in Jerusalem recognized this as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is recounting all the work that he has done that God gave him to do. And he points out how Barnabas had been with him and 
he with Barnabas. And he makes a very simple statement. He says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? What we learn from that is, is that Paul, at his own work and expense, provided for himself to preach. We often don't realize that Barnabas did the same thing. Here's a man, whatever his talent was, worked to be able to preach the gospel. When I start looking at these men as servants, they're not televangelists. They're not men in it for money. They are men who want to preach the gospel because they love the souls of men and women. And they understood their role very well. Listen to Acts 15, verses 35 and 36. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. I want you to see Paul and Barnabas love the souls of men and women so much they would say, we don't want to just teach them and drop them. We're interested in them remaining faithful to the Lord. Oh, you and I could spend a lot of time talking about how much concern on Wednesday evenings here, we're studying the book of Galatians, and we realize in Acts, or Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul was marveling that they were so soon removing from him who called them in the grace of Christ to another gospel. He goes on in chapter 5 and chapter 4, and he says, Who bewitched you? Who tricked you? You see, Paul was concerned that brethren remained faithful. Sometimes when preachers are preaching and elders are admonishing, we may tend to think, oh, they just, they're just... No, it's concerned that your soul remains faithful and true to God, that you're saved from your sins. Now, very briefly, let's talk about the service. They were on a missionary journey. In fact, we talk about Paul's first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey, his journey to Rome, in addition to the others that were taught. In chapter 14, verse 7 and verse 21, and they were preaching the gospel there. Verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and Antioch. This was not a sightseeing tour. There's nothing wrong with going on a vacation and seeing beautiful sights. There's nothing wrong with going on an educational trip. I love the trips of going to the Bible lands. But they're mostly for the purpose of seeing and learning and understanding. This is a missionary journey. This is a journey to preach This is the service that you're rendering. Romans 1 and verse 15, Paul says, So as much as in me, 
I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Yes, the gospel goes everywhere. It went to Cyprus, Salamis, Paphos. It's going to go into Perga, Pamphylia, and then go up that central part of Turkey to go to Antioch, to Iconium, to Lystra, to Derby. Oh yeah, that gospel message is going to go to Rome. And it came to the United States. And it came to Warren County. And ultimately the gospel has come to you. In Romans 15 verses 18 through 21, For we, I will dare not speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and in deed to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Irelicium I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to him or to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. There's a very important principle in this service that Paul is discussing here. Everybody has the right to hear the word of God. Paul said, I want to go where Christ has not been named. I want to take the gospel to places where it's never been heard. You know, for many of us, there's places we can't go. They won't let us go there. I mentioned Wednesday evening a man who was killed trying to go to a place, an island, where the people killed him because he was coming to preach a message they didn't want to hear. There's parts of China, there's parts of places we can't go today, but you know one thing that we have done and we continue to do is the Gospel Broadcasting Network goes around the world. People who have access to the Internet are able to listen to sound and faithful gospel preaching. Church here has supported that for many years and continues to do so. There's opportunities like the International Gospel Hour. You say, well, I don't listen to radio anymore. You may not, but there are still thousands of people who do. And the gospel is being preached in places where we can't go or have not been able to go. The mission objective is to save souls. You see, why does the church at Bobby Branch exist? Why are we here? Oh yes, we're here to try to encourage, to edify, to uplift one another. We come every Lord's Day to recharge our batteries, so to speak, so that we can face a day of difficulty on Monday or Wednesday or Friday. We come here so that we can offer praise and adoration to the God of heaven. But we are here 
to declare God's message. We are here to save souls. Why would a person invest time, money, and effort in such a mission? There's a very simple answer. Souls are important. That soul may be your son, may be your daughter. That soul may be your best friend. That soul may be the neighbor that lives across the road from you. But their soul is important. Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted of death for every man. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. And your soul is important. It's possible that during this sermon you've sat there thinking, God sent the gospel to me. And I've not yet obeyed it. I've not yet become a Christian. Maybe this is the first time you've heard it. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times. Once you know what you need to do, you need to act upon it. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You've heard that. John 8 verse 24, Jesus said, If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. You have to repent of the things that you have done that are wrong. Acts 17 verse 30, At the times of this ignorance God once overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. He expects you to confess your faith in Christ. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says, Everyone therefore who will confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. And then be baptized. Just like every case of conversion in the book of Acts, they were baptized for the remission of their sins. Everything is ready for you this morning. There's a baptistry behind me. The water is warm. There's garments that have been prepared. It's just a choice you need to make. It's on you. It's your choice, just like wherever the gospel is preached. And we also need to make sure that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we always offer an opportunity for any of us who are struggling with sin be able to have prayers on our behalf. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we're going to sing, Though Your Sins Be As Scarlet, Would You Come As Together We Stand and Sing.